Well, good morning, Terwilliger Community Church. It is great being with you today. I'm really looking forward to the fire drill. My wife and I are a part of Southwest Community Church, the church plant of TCC. We're thankful for your church and the investment that you are making in Southwest. I'm also thankful for Pastor Norb and, and the rest of your staff. You have made me feel so welcome this morning already. Uh, I have had a chance to visit with a few people already, and it, it reminds me again that um, the North American Baptist Conference family of churches is really a family. And it is uh, people that know each other, but also know someone that someone else knows. There's always this uh, sense of, uh, of connection uh, with one another. I have a deep love for the church. I believe that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It is the church that lives out God's grace and goodness and love and the power of God in Jesus. It is the church that is the witness to the life change that can happen in Jesus Christ. I served for 37 years as a North American Baptist pastor in Canada and the United States. I know I look much younger than that. And then I became executive director of the North American Baptist Conference. That's what NAB stands for. TCC as... Tim mentioned is, or as, uh, as was mentioned, is a church that belongs to the Alberta Baptist Association of the NAB Conference of Churches. So then what is the NAB Conference? What is a North American Baptist Conference? Well, the NAB was started in 1850 by German-speaking Christians for support and for connection. They were committed to reaching out to others, to raising up leaders, to training up pastors, to planting churches, to sending missionaries. The NAB of 2023 is binational in Canada and the United States, having over 400 churches in six provinces in 26 states. Churches that are 140 years old and 140 days old. The NAB has 38 church plants and 37 missionaries in eight countries. The, the languages spoken in North American Baptist Conference churches are no longer just, just German and English, but also Arabic and Hausa and Spanish and Urdu and Tagalog and Mandarin and Cantonese and Punjabi and many others. The reasons that we exist as a North American Baptist Conference are still what brought us together way back in 1850. We exist to encourage each other to live out God's mission as God forms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And God continues to, to shape and lives and to shape who we are as God's people through the ministries of our conference. I believe that God is taking the North American Baptist Conference in some compelling directions. And these directions are summed up very quickly in four end goals that I want to share with you before we get into our message for this, for this morning. These, these end goals define who we are and what we're all about. They are end goal number one. 
The NAB will train for missional ministry. The NAB Conference of Churches believes that God is at work in us, but also in our world. It is to join God in the work that he is doing. NAB churches all over North America are building relationships to their communities by seeking to meet needs and sharing Jesus with others in their words and in their their actions. End goal number two. The North American Baptist Conference will seek seek opportunities to minister cross-culturally. This directs us as a conference to reach out missionally to the cultures and the ethnicities that are all around us. We as a conference of churches celebrate that God has called us into one body with many different nations and peoples and languages. And goal number three, the NAB will develop spiritual leaders. This directs us as a conference of churches to missionally elevate the developing leaders that God is raising up all around us. We believe it is a key priority to reach out to younger leaders and to embrace the leadership that they can provide for us. End goal number four. The NAB will send and support international missionaries. This directs North American Baptist conferences to reach the unreached world and also to partner with Christians globally to reach others, to reach their nations for Jesus Christ. So I get asked the question sometimes, why should our church be North American Baptist? That might be a question that you've had or have this morning. The answer doesn't involve what the North American Baptist Conference can do for you or what you can do for the NAB. This is about what God wants us to do together. On July 11 through 14, 2024, we are celebrating who we are as an NAB at a triennial conference. The NAB meets every three years to be challenged on the mission that God has called us to. Our theme in 2024 in St. Paul, Minnesota is becoming a people of peace. There will be thoughtful speakers and challenging breakouts. You'll see and hear what God is doing all across North America in NAB churches. And you might be challenged to consider some of these things as you consider your ministry and your church. There will be walkabout videos of what God is doing. You won't want to miss this gathering of the NAB conference in St. Paul in 2024. These gatherings God has used to propel us to what God is wanting to do in our conference. There's going to be registration info coming out this fall and more information on the North American Baptist website under the Triennial tab. I hope that you can make it to St. Paul in 2024. Today I want to share with you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to open them up. Open your Bible apps to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I'd love to have you, if you can, to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always, always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your spirit takes your word and applies it to our hearts and to our lives. And so we ask, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to listen, and Lord, a will that is surrendered to you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these dear people. Lord, I ask that you would use even my weak, limited words to be pleasing to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if we go to Acts chapter 16, verse 12, it tells us that, that Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey. In, in reading the book of Philippians, it was obvious that, that Paul and the Philippians had developed this, this deep connection with each other. Well, I think we could say that the Philippians were Paul's friends, good friends close friends. Uh, I once heard a, a child define friendship this way. A friend is a person who knows all about you and still likes you. Henry Ford said, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. God made us for relationship. God made us for connection with each other. But let me tell you that there is more going on in this passage than just a celebration of friendship. Philippians 1 verse 7 tells us that Paul has the Philippians in his heart. Paul tells them that he longs for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 is about who we are together in Jesus Paul sent this letter to the Philippians and prayed that they would have God's best be brought out of them. And I, and I believe that that is God's message for us today. Note that Paul begins the letter of the Philippians in Philippians 1.4 with a note of joy. In Philippians, the word joy is found five times and the word rejoicing is found seven times. Joy is a wonderful thing. Joy is more than just feeling happy, more than just feeling good. The meaning of joy in, in these verses moves beyond our circumstances. The root of the word joy is the same word for grace. 
It is a, a joy that comes from God and his grace. The, the joy of Philippians 1 comes from God. It is a joy that we experience by God living in us and through us, by us living in and through, through God, by his grace. This is what we have when we come to a surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ. This joy is having a sense of delight and well-being, a sense of wholeness and peace given by God and Jesus. Joy is in knowing that God has the control of this world and God has control of us. Joy is in trusting that God is working in our lives. The beauty of this, this delight, the beauty of this joy is that it comes from God, but it also can be experienced in community. In the gracious and godly connections that we have to others in our lives. It's a beautiful thing to say in the words of Paul. That when you think of someone, it brings you great joy and delight. Thea was a dear woman in one of our churches. Thea was a joy giver. Thea radiated a love for God and a love for others. Thea was kind and helpful and gracious and encouraging. She was a person of influence. Young couples named their children Thea after her. Now, now, having said that, you and I all know people who have wrecked a name for us. You know what I mean? They were not joy givers, but joy takers. Thea brought joy. The Philippians were joy givers to, to Paul. In Philippians 1.5, it tells us that one of the key sources of this joy was the partnership that Paul had with these Philippians in the gospel. The word partnership here is the biblical word koinonia. Koinonia is another one of those deep and profound words. The word can mean community or communion, intimacy, joint, participation, sharing. Koinonia describes this, this deep investment that we have in someone else, a, a caring connection and relationship that we have with others. It's often translated by the word fellowship. Clearly, community and connection are high values today. All around us, we see people joining clubs and, and having interest groups and, and going to activities and being a part of a team. People want to be connected to others. But having a koinonia partnership is more than just being a part of a group. It's more than just having a common interest or playing on a team. Koinonia is another one of those God words. It means walking life together in Jesus. Koinonia is a participation with each other as we participate with Jesus. Our community or common unity is a oneness that we have with each other because of the oneness that we have in a surrendered faith to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This, this partnership, this, this fellowship, this connection 
is also about what we do together in Jesus. In this koinonia partnership, we add to and complement each other. That's God's will and intention for us. None of us here, none of us have all the skills and the abilities that are needed and the gifts that are needed to be fully effective in God's work. You see, we've been given the body of Christ to, to function with and alongside one another so that we can add to each other and complement each other. I am a football fan. We just moved to Edmonton a couple of years ago, and I'm trying really hard to be an Edmonton Elks fan. Uh, that's, I sh- that's all I'm going to say about that. Each, each football team has, has these skill positions filled by people that are well-known. They are the stars. Now, now, there are also all kind of people on the field that are not as well known. But they're needed. I mean, you can run, you can pass, as long as someone is blocking the other team. As long as someone is pushing people out of the way. The team needs to play together. The joy of the partnership that is in the body of Jesus Christ is that I can bring all that God has made me to be to all that God has made you to be so that we can be all that God has made us to be together. In verse 6, Paul ends this thanksgiving by reminding the Philippians that what God starts, God will finish. It's probably no surprise to you to know that a common human flaw is that we often start things that we don't finish. I've heard it said, when all is said and done, there's usually more said than done. I'm here to tell you that that's not true of God. God finishes the work that he starts. And that is true in in all things. In creation, God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. God finishes the work he starts. And that is absolutely true of the work that God is doing in each and every one of you. None of us are a finished project yet. This, this work of spiritual formation, this work of discipleship is ongoing. And in the Christian life, we live the reality of who we are in Jesus and also who we are becoming in Jesus. We are forgiven in Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, 7. And we also keep needing to be forgiven. We are made new, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And we're also being made new. We are transformed in Jesus, and we are being transformed in Jesus. This... This work of God in us is is the work of growing in our faith and growing in our dependence on Jesus. It is the work of being defined and refined, shaped and reshaped, formed and reformed. And that work is done by God and in God's spirit. This is God's work in us, but it's also a work we invest in. God asks for our effort our commitment and priority in this work. And that means 
making the things of God a priority in your lives. That means saying no to the things that you know get in the way of what God wants in your life and, and, and saying yes to the things that cause that life of faith to grow in you. God never intended our faith in Jesus to just be an admission ticket into heaven. God wants us to live it on this earth. God never intended us to say we believe in Jesus, but never live what it means to believe in Jesus. God never intended for us to be passive spiritually, but to be engaged spiritually. God wants you and I to follow, to do the work of walking as disciples. Having said this, the the incredible mystery is that, that God's Spirit infuses the work that we do with His power. And as we walk in faith, we are formed and transformed by God into the image of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a look at this picture. This is my grandson. He planted some seeds this spring. He and his mom dug the holes, and every day he faithfully watered the soil. Each day he looked to see what was happening. My grandson was learning a lesson. He was learning that there's a work that he does, but there's also work beyond what he does. You do what you do, but God must do what God does. And what God starts, God finishes. The process of being like Jesus will not end until we end, if you know what I mean. Until our lives come to an end. My friend, are you walking in the lordship of Jesus in your life? Are you you seeking to do those things that would cause you to grow in your faith? Perhaps someone here is discouraged in their walk, maybe distracted, maybe you're, you're detoured. Keep at it. Keep reading God's word. Keep saying no to sin and yes to God. Keep praying, keep trusting. Keep connecting with God's people. Keep walking in faith. God is still at work in your life and through your life. Well, in verse 9, we see what Paul requests for the Philippians. Paul's prayer request is that their love would abound more and more. The word used for love here is the word agape. It's another word in this passage that causes us to, to slow down a little bit and to consider what it means. Agape is the love of God. The, the, the love of God is a sacrificial love that gives and gives and gives some more. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 describes God's love. Love is patient and kind, not envious, boastful, and, or proud, or rude, or self-seeking. It doesn't anger easily or keep score. This love seeks truth, not evil. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This love never fails. You know, when we describe the love of God, we have to be struck with the comparison to human love that is so evident today. 
Human love is, is often based on having my selfish needs met, having my wants and expectations reached. It is a, a love that can be very fickle. It can come and go very easily. I heard of a man that, that gave a locket to his girlfriend that was inscribed with, my love is yours alone. So what you need to also know is he bought three more identical lockets, each inscribed with, my love is yours alone. Why? Why did he do that? Just in case. He was covering his bases. They were on sale. (laughs) Covering his bases when it came to his forever love. God doesn't need to do this. God's agape love is a commitment. It abides. God loves those who are close to him and those who are far from him. Remember, God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for us. Remember that we will, while we were yet sinners, he sent his son, Jesus. God's love isn't fickle. God's love has a firmness and a strength and a power to it. And note that in verse 9, Paul requests that, that this love is to abound more and more in these, his dear, dear, beloved Philippians. It is to be an active love. You, you see, agape love is seen in practical actions. It's a love that encourages and seeks God's best for others. The saying, when all is said and done, there's more said than done, is never true of agape love. With agape love, there is always more done than said. The word abounding means to overflow. It's a love that is to just keep on coming. So how is that possible? Have you ever thought of that? How is that possible? God's love is found in the grace of God, in the goodness of God, in the character of God. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. God's love has no limit because God has no limit. Agape love does not come from us. It comes from the eternal and unlimited God in us. And verse 9 goes on to say that this agape love is to abound in knowledge and depth of insight. The reference to knowledge in verse 9 is not just what we gain from the study of books or taking classes or watching YouTube videos. It's very specific to our knowing and understanding who God is by walking with God, living in Jesus, being shaped and formed by God's word. And that's tied to having a depth of insight. Having a depth of insight means that we see with with God's eyes and we hear with God's ears and we follow God's heart. It's having an insight that comes from God living in us and through us. It is an insight that sees what God is doing and discerns what God is calling us to. Is that important for you at all? Isn't there something that we can say about the world that we live in today? That there are so many voices calling out to us. Calling out to us to to be a part of this. to, To somehow get on board with this. And this depth of insight directs us to know of all these many voices, what is God's voice? This 
Agape love is an indication of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's an indication of our growing in our faith, of that work that we have invested ourselves in. And it's to be known by an agape love, a love for God and a love for others. I've been a Christian for many years. When I think of those many years, I ask myself the question when it comes to agape love. Is is that agape love evidenced? Is it an evidence of my many years of walking in Jesus? Does each year of maturity in my life mean that I have an an abounding more in a love for God and a love for others? Well, let's end with verses 10 and 11. Here we're given the results or outcomes that Paul is wanting in the lives of these beloved Philippians. He is wanting them to be able to discern what is best. I've always wondered, if you say something is, is good, is it better than pretty good? Or is it the other way around? Is pretty good a step up from good? Well, in, in contrast, there's no question about the term best. I mean, whatever it is, good, pretty good, better than best. But whose best are we talking about here? Is it your best or my best or the best for the group? Now, what is my best might not be what is your best. If I live next door to you and my best is listening to music at 75 ear-damaging decibels with my windows open and rattling, you might disagree that that is what is best. We need a true standard of measure. To discern what is best in Philippians 1.10 is God's best. God's best is God's will. God's best is found in who God is and in living out God's will. And God's will is God's love and mercy and God's justice and righteousness. God's will is evidenced in the fruit of the work of God's spirit. In sports, there are athletes who by their ability, their athleticism, not only cause teams to win games, but they bring out the best in their teammates. They elevate the play of others. This is just a a dim reflection of what God does to us in Jesus. In Jesus, you and I are at our best. Jesus living in and through us is knowing who God made us to be and living into that. Paul expands this best in verse 10 by describing believers as pure and blameless. When we think of pure, we think of something that's without fault. The, the, the Greek word for pure can also be translated as sincere or, or without hidden motives. This is having no deceit or dishonesty or duplicity. Being pure is essentially walking and living fully in step with God's right will and God's right wish. And tied to this is being blameless. Being blameless means that we're living in a way that causes no blame and causes us to feel no blame. So, when I have a police officer pull up behind me, I don't know about you, but immediately I begin to think, 
man, was I speeding? Or did I use, did I use my turn signal when I, when I turned? I worry about what I've done wrong. Being blameless means living without wrong, without blame. It is living in a way that consistently is the way of God. And it is to be full, filled in verse 11 with the fruit of righteousness. Fruit is a result. The fruit of righteousness is the result of discerning God's best. Righteousness at its most basic meaning is doing what is right. And there is a right way to go. It is God's way. I believe that God has started a good work in you and through you. I know a little bit of the, the beginnings of Terwilliger Community Church. And I know that God has started a good work here. And I know that God is seeking to finish that work. And when I think of Terwilliger Community Church, I think of every one of you in this room. I think of everyone that is connected to this church. At times we grow weary, don't we? We get distracted and discouraged. My friend, remember God's love for you. God wants you to abound in that love. God wants you to surrender yourself to him so that you will be able to discern what is best. Perhaps today your struggle is that you're no longer focused on becoming whom God wants you to be in Jesus. There's all kinds of other things that you are wanting to do. You will only reach all that God has made you to be as you surrender yourself to Jesus. Today, embrace that call for you. This is about fully living into your faith and allowing God to live out of you. I think if Paul were here, he'd say, my beloved Terwilligerns abound in God's love, abound in love, righteousness, and all that God has for you, wherever he has placed you. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given to us so much. You have started a work in us. And today, Lord, we want to affirm that. And we want to affirm that, yes, we want to continue to walk with you in that work, to seek the things of God in our lives, to say no to sin and yes to you. Lord, we thank you for that loving relationship that you had with the Philippians and how that, that connection just caused you to ha have this wish and intention for them to know all that God has for them that they would know abundant life, life to the full in Jesus. And I ask you that for my dear people here at Terwilliger Community Church, that they would know life to the full in you. Amen.